Hello there, internet friends, and welcome to another episode of Render Time. I'm Richard Lutz, and it is my goal to break down the decisions and challenges that go into TV, films, and commercials. Today on the episode, we're talking with Oli Mingo. Oli is the creative director at North 40 Productions in Wenatchee, Washington. Just so happens to be my hometown. In this episode, we talk about their recent film, Lifted. They've made a great documentary showcasing my hometown mountain. And in this episode, we really talk about the challenges that these guys faced with a smaller team and how they ultimately rose above them. We talk about how they go about their editorial process, cameras used, and how they manage the project from start to finish. It just goes to show that you don't have to have 50 to 100 people making your film. If you have a great idea, you can go out there and make it. So I hope this episode provides some insight of how you might be able to take that film in your head and finally make it happen. Enjoy. I'm talking here with uh, Oli Mingo. Oli is a um, filmmaker out of Wenatchee, Washington. Oli why don't you introduce yourself? Because I know there's people out there that aren't necessarily in a place like where I am in Los Angeles. I'm not in New York. They're in small little towns. And why don't you introduce yourself and North 40 and the projects you guys have been involved with? Yeah, thanks, Richard. So I'm a kind of a self-taught uh, backwoods filmmaker from uh, our local town of Wenatchee, which is right in the heart of Washington State. And um, I with, work with a really talented group of guys at a company called North 40, uh, a little bit of a creative co-op. We, you know, none of us are are really professionally taught at what we do, but we all have a lot of passion. We all bring a lot of creativity to the table, and so we pay our bills doing commercial gigs, and we do a lot of work to promote the tourism uh, in our region as well as a lot of the industry and agriculture and everything in between. And then we just kind of save up our our fun money, and then we get to produce. Uh, both narrative shorts and, and documentary feature-length documentaries, and kind of sports-themed shorts that we like to. That's kind of what we save up and have some fun doing that stuff. And just recently got to our local hill, Mission Ridge, local ski hill, turned 50 years old. So we thought it was a great opportunity to get to make our first ski film. And it's uh, it's cool to and yeah, no, I know it was a great little film because like. I mean, I've. I mean, you've grown up watching ski and snowboard films. I've done the same, and it's it's always just ski porn. It's just trick after trick after trick. I mean, we've seen a little bit of a differentiation, but what was cool about your guys' work was um, it was it was more. I it was more focusing on the hill. It was just there was a story, and there was a definite point of view of the film, which was really nice. Nice change. Yeah, and that was really our, our intention going into it. You know, you look at some of the the, the independent media coming out in the ski and snowboard genre, and, I mean, they're just killing it. There's some really, uh, really well, um, you know, some companies have been in the game for quite a while, and they're producing really creative work. And it's really fun to watch, and it's really stimulating. But, you know, we knew, first and foremost, that, you know, really keeping our our our, our subject humble and really doing justice about telling the story of a local hometown hill you know we're not about launching off of cliffs and jumping out of helicopters and um you know and it's just not what the mountain is and so we took a lot of uh 
you know, a lot of the strength that our mountain does have. Our, our mountain has community. Our mountain has, you know, people who have been skiing up there. 1966 was the opening year, so people have been skiing up there for 50 years. And, you know, and there's little kids growing up on the bunny hill and everything in between. And so we really took a lot of intention. This subtitle of Lifted is uh, the ski film for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And so we really took that to heart. And we focused a lot on, on the history. We focused on on the youth and on the elders. And really, it came together. We really focused, too, on we had a segment called Truth Booth, where we just brought people in. Anyone who was skiing that day, we welcomed them into our, we put a little pop-up booth outside the lodge and just had a list of, uh, you know, 10 or 12 questions. And it was just, it was just these, it was just a person um, with a list of questions and a camera. And we just had them answer the questions right back into the lens, uh, the conversation between them and, and the camera. And it was a little bit of just uh, an experiment to see what we could get. We ended up getting some really, really great content that, yeah, we could we could never have written it, you know, because it was mm-hmm. just purely authentic and purely from the perspective of the public. And you know, little tidbits like that really brought a lot of power to the film. Absolutely, and I I remember seeing that before the initial film came out. You guys did something and launched it on Vimeo, but you are correct. And oh God, sorry, my phone is uh, blowing up. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Maybe I should. Sorry about that. You're good. Um, it w- I I thought it was kind of a nice little touch because it. Um, I mean, those are the conversations that, I mean, I I had growing up. Those are the sort of things that we kind of talked about of like what separates, what makes skiing special, and what makes a hometown hill special. I mean. It's not Aspen, it's not Vail, it's not Whistler, but it is something that now that I live in Los Angeles and now that I, and even when I was living in Seattle and living other places, I took it for granted. So it was really nice how you guys paid homage to it. But I'm really interested, like, it, I mean, we can talk about, like, how great the film is. I, I want to dig into the challenges that you guys face because I'm sure the list was never-ending I mean, how did this film get off the ground? What was that conversation with Mission Ridge, and how did you get the community involved early on? Because I remember seeing a Kickstarter before I even knew production was going on. Yeah. Or an Indiegogo, excuse me. Certainly. And, you know, we've been doing the marketing for Mission Ridge for about 10 years now. And so, you know, we we knew all the staff. We knew the, the management really well. And we came to them with the idea of, what do you guys think about us doing a a 50-year dock? And, you know, the first question everybody asks is, well, who's going to pay for it, right? And this was something we knew right away that this wasn't going to be a moneymaker and this wasn't something that, um, you know, we we didn't necessarily want Mission Ridge to pay for it either because then it's just like a a paid, you know, historical dock and just that immediately, you know, smells like stinky home, (laughs) you know, home media, home mountain Mm -hmm. type of, you know, self-congratulating tribute and so we just pitched them said hey we want to do a ski film celebrating 50 years and originally it was just gonna be that it's gonna be a little bit of a historical and over the course though from inception to premiere was uh was three years and that was not intentional we had a couple of rough winters in the middle in there um 
but as everything kind of progressed, we're like, no, let's let's have fun with this. This is a beautiful mountain. We have we have a well, it's it's very photogenic. Has a lot to offer uh, for the photographer and for the videographer and for the eye. And so everything just kind of evolved, and and we did we just kind of sourced our local community uh, for financing for the crowdfunding, and we were able to pull in. You know, it was it was it was a battle. But we were able to pull in from just from small donations. You know, you can you can get your pre-buy your premiere ticket for fifteen bucks, and then we got some larger donations from the local businesses and community. But we were able to raise, I want to say, about forty thousand dollars, which was fantastic. I think all in all, that was probably close to a third of our budget for the entire production. And so that right there kind of got us off the ground, um, and we were able to to start production. That's, and, uh, that's impressive. I mean, 40K off of the community is insane. It was. It was really good. And it was really great, too, because then everybody in the community felt like they had ownership. You know, they had skin in the game. And so, you know, over the course of, of the three seasons, you know, everybody was really tuned in and, and asking us about it. Everybody was really pumped and excited. And same thing when they finally got to see it. You know, it was, you know, I want to say it was uh, probably two two years after everybody bought their premiere tickets, they finally got to go to that world premiere. That's great. And, and really enjoyed it. Um, you know, definitely, you know, Mission Ridge, when we get snow, we're in the rain shadow here, and so when we do get snow, it's really light, um, you know, champagne powder, and it's world-class skiing. But there's also, you know, those those low snow years where we it's, it can be pretty miserable up there. I know that and so, so we, well. we got about one and a half seasons of crap, and so... Basically, this year was it. I mean, we were going to do it no matter what. And if we didn't get snow, we were going to make a mockumentary about trying to make a, a ski film with no snow. And thankfully, uh, Mother Nature delivered. They had one of the best Decembers on record. And we came out of the gate taut and got tons of great footage. How's it going to compare with this December? I was talking with my brother last night, and he's like saying, oh, yeah, man, it's they got three feet like in the last week. You know, they're dumping. We're not, we're not quite... Uh, to three feet yet but we we got we got over two feet at the top and um opened up last weekend and i actually unfortunately didn't get to make it um but i'll be up there this weekend and i can't wait to to get back on the hill i got to watch a lot of people skiing last year (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that at least you're on the mountain like i i mean i've done some projects for the ridge and it's uh at least you're on the mountain. Um, so what did um, I'm looking at my cheat sheet while I um, talk as well. Um, well, yeah, and I can even keep keep going on that with um, you know, a little bit with you know we've done well, by all means. We've you know part of our, our job is, is we get to immerse ourselves in so many different industries, and it's really fun as a documentary filmmaker and as a as a you know commercial um, producer. And so with that, we, we've, we've learned to be very flexible and very guerrilla and very adaptable to go into different situations and different environments and be able to film and learn how to capture, you know, how do you capture that emotion? How do you capture the story and the human element out of all these, out of all these, these uh, unique perspectives and industries? And so going into skiing was no different. You know, and we had, I mean, we'd, we filmed a lot of recreation. We filmed a lot of mountain biking. We've never filmed skiing before. And so getting up there, and so basically our, the homework is, all right, well, let's watch a bunch of ski films. And then, but, you know, having that mind's eye of not being able to just, like, soak it up and enjoy it, but really think about how did they get that shot. And you start thinking about it. It is extremely difficult. 
to balance. You have to be the master of the camera, and then you have the master of the athlete, and then you have to find the synchronicity between the two and communicate that in a beautiful way. And so we spent a lot of time just like, you know, just getting hunkered down in the snow. <laughs> and it takes so much. You know, we shot over. So lifted ended up being our final. Our final runtime is just under forty-five minutes, mm-hmm. and we shot well over eighty-five hours of footage. Jesus. And so it was, you know, it was a tremendous, uh, it was really frustrating at first. It was really frustrating, um, especially when, you know, you only get so many bluebird days. And so you really got to make them count. Um, but that was an extremely, uh, as a filmmaker, as a creative, as a, as, a, as a camera operator, it was really humbling to uh, get back to basics and, um, you know, figure out how to, how to shoot a ski film. And, mm-hmm. But at the end of it, it was just really, it was a really uh, exciting creative journey and in the end of it you know you never know what the best shots are going to be and then it's really funny to come out at the end of it and some of the stuff you think is like oh that's totally going to be in the film ends up on the floor and some of the stuff Mm -hmm. you thought was going to be crap is like some of the best stuff in the film yeah and i know how hard it is to shoot on a mountain especially in winter it it's brutal like i remember this was a couple years ago before i left Wenatchee but I shot some stuff on the mountain and my bro- my brother's like chastising me it's like hurry up I'm like dude I'm carrying an extra an extra 30 pounds of gear chasing your ass all over the mountain right it's not easy give me a minute so I mean and not to mention it's like 80 you said 85 hours 85 hours over Jesus. well over 85 that is so much footage yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, like, and, and that's, like, what's... I mean, I, I've shot a fair... A little bit of documentary. Nothing of that nature. I mean, that's just... That's just nutty. Uh, I mean, that's more than Chef's Table on Netflix. Um, I would know because I talked with uh, their post-supervisor a couple months ago, and they said it's about 40 to 50 hours per episode. Wow. Yeah, and that's... And they're doing that for every episode, and they're... They're also dealing with language issues now, and their assistants have to figure that out. But um, how did you guys manage that sort of that just sheer volume of footage? I mean, what was your strategy within Premiere, and what was that organization structure looking like? Because as filmmakers, um, especially on the post end, organization is not just king, but it's god really because. If you don't have your project set up, it's going to be pain all the way through. Oh, absolutely. A clean project, a happy project. Yes, indeed. And with the whole nature of it, um, I mean, we run a really tight ship at our company, and I, I pride myself in, in running really clean projects and really clean file structure. And you know, with the nature of this, um, with it being a three-year project, you know, most of the principal photography happened in the, in the last season. So everything, you know, we really started hitting the trail basically about a year ago. And, but we'd been, you know, we'd been filming interviews for three years. And really, you know, in the beginning too, I mean, we don't know, we had, we had loose, con- loose concepts moving forward. We knew, we knew we wanted to focus on a couple individual characters. Um, but then everything else kind of just came together over the course of the season. And we just knew that, you know, if it's dumping snow or if it's bluebird, then we know we have to be up there. So a lot of it was shoot, um, you know, just with not knowing where it was going to be in the edit. And it's just going up there and doing it. Mm-hmm. And so everything, everything 
um, you know, it took me at the end of the project, once we wrapped the season and we knew we weren't going to be filming up there anymore, I did nothing for two weeks but go through and organize all the footage. And everything got logged. Everything got, um, you know, we go through a culling process where if I know it's garbage, I just go ahead and throw it into a morgue bin. And then, you know, so I go through and get everything named and catalog basically by date. And then after that, I go through and I say, okay, well, what's, what's the subject? Because when I'm going through the edit, I don't want to have to remember, oh, shit, what was the day that I was up there and I was shooting that? I want to know what the content is. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I go through and I basically categorized everything. Like I had some unique ride sessions that were very, you know, unique. I knew exactly what they were. And then so within that, you know, we're up there with like five or six skiers and they're doing these sessions and we got three cameras on them. And so we break it down by camera, we break it down by rider, and then by camera, and then by shot. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of stuff where, let's just say it's a bluebird day, but we didn't have any riders set up. And the back countries, you know, maybe the, the side country's kind of crusty, but, you know, the groomers are looking good, and it's just a beautiful day. And we really, you know, this is all about the public. And so we go up there, and we just, like, shoot the mountain. And then that stuff, that stuff kind of just gets categorized by, you know, how, how can I find that in the edit? Let's say I want to find, oh, I really need this, like, you know, some beautiful snow on a tree, or if I just need some some happy smiling faces on a chairlift, everything just kind of gets bent um, mm-hmm. into those categories. And I'll tell you what, to get at the end of that and have all that footage cataloged like that, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm just a super like analytical geek, and I love uh, you know clean file structure. And at the end of it, I was like, I could have tapped out right there and been happy. Just be like, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, oh my god, I like I'm gonna be back in Wenatchee in like a week and a half, and I it's like. You're talking through it, and I'm like, I'm trying to like imagine it in my head. It's like I almost want to like knock on the door when I'm back home and say, "Dude, show me this beast. I want to see this warlock." Yeah, it's, it's you know, and then the whole scheme of things, like our, our previous film, Pedal Driven, that we produced back in 2000, uh, 2010, was it was a complete like same thing. Like for whatever reason, whenever we decide we want to make a movie, it takes us three years, for better or for worse. Um, and I mean, that thing was like shot. We filmed in like 11 different states and had absolutely no like design about anything as we were shooting it. And so, uh, you know, doing a little bit of pre-pro up front and being intentional uh, throughout the entire uh, production process really pays dividends, especially when you get into the edit because it is super overwhelming when you're just, when you got that blank timeline and you have 85 hours of footage, and like, holy shit, what do I do with this? Yeah. And so it really does pay dividends to, to run a tight ship, and it's really rewarding at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, I've, I've seen the same thing, like, in editorial as elsewhere in the business. I mean, I mean even, in, I mean, I'm, I, when I was working in VFX, um, it was the same sort of thing. Like, the mill was super militant about folder structures i mean and you have to be because if you lose an asset it's in many cases it's not just you lose an asset it's b fine or finding that asset and then c you got to uh deal with that's a client's time that you're wasting at that point which is not cool in any stretch of the imagination so it's like these i totally get where you're coming from in just terms of a really really clean organization structure and just really being thoughtful and planning that stuff out. Absolutely. Um, 
And what cameras did you guys shoot on uh, for this? I mean, I'm I'm guessing it there was uh, some 5D, maybe some C300, C100, GoPros. You know, this was uh, so every this was all shot um, in 1080. Okay. Um, our A camera is the Canon C100, uh, just the Mark One. Um, all of our slow mo is shot in the Sony FS700, and okay. then a lot of um, all of our Ronin stuff. Um, we shot a lot of BTS on our Canon 60, and then depending on, on the train and what we're filming, we either have a 60 or the C100 on our Ronin, okay. which is a, a handheld gimbal, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and that was, you know, that's the gist of it. We, we, had, we had a little bit of fun with some GoPros and strapped those on to some unique places and then got a day up in a helicopter. Um, what we really lacked, um, and I mean, it's unfortunate, you know, is, is drone footage. And mm-hmm. um, Mission Ridge is, is entirely on Forest Service property. And okay. so with, with the FFA stuff going through, um, you know, we, at, we, we didn't have the opportunity to legally film with a drone at any point during post-production, which is brutal because I see some of this beautiful backcountry footage with, with drones, and it's, uh, it really lends a lot. Really? You couldn't shoot with drones? Couldn't shoot with drones. Wow. We got ourselves in some hot water with the Forest Service. We've gotten, uh, unfortunately, I mean, we, we film a lot um, promoting, you know, the recreation in our area. And um, we do our best to really play by the rules. And um, there's been a couple times where, unfortunately, for one reason or the other, you know, you just you can't get a permit for every little thing. And so uh, we got on the naughty list uh, a couple years ago. And so we did. <laughs> our friendly local forest rangers have a watchful eye on the 40 productions and uh, <laughs> we're trying we're trying to nurture that relationship back to health and so well i'm sure we could have snuck a shot or two in there um we decided to take the high road and, oh my god the, now anything? that you bring it up it's like yeah i remember there was a project that you got i i can think of i'm thinking of the project right now um i'm not going to name clients and i'm not going to name what it was but Leavenworth Ski Lodge. That project was that it? Uh, yeah. Well, it was it was uh, shot on Leavenworth Ski Hall property. Okay. Uh, with without a permit. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it happens. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> talk about the client because who knows they could listen to this and they might be like, oh, well that changes our relationship with them. Not gonna go there. Um. So what's really interesting about like that number of cameras is how did you guys even manage like with the color correction process? I mean, were you guys using color grading in Premiere or did you kick it out to Resolve? Uh, everything was color. Um, the color pass was inside of Premiere with Lumetri. Okay. And I'll tell you what. Normally, in any other situation, the color. You know, the first pass I came through, I did the color pass in two phases. And the first is just really getting everything normalized, right? You're getting the um, the exposure normalized. You're getting the white the white balance and the color balance all put together. And you know, shooting on top of a mountain covered in snow, there's a tremendous amount of white to let the camera operator know if something's funky. Mm-hmm. And so, just naturally, it's kind of pretty, kind of easy to shoot a balance. But over the course of the film, certainly, you know, the blues kind of pop from the from the snow, and then the, you know, the exposure can be all over the place. But working with so much white in the footage, um, it, the 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 color pass was actually a breeze because you know the the, the scopes are every, every just everything's white. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's always something white in the screen to be able to balance off of. So it was super smooth and. 
actually really fun. This by far my you know the the color grading process can be really laborious and uh, <laughs> thankless. Mm-hmm. Even though that that's where so much of the magic comes out, but I just had a blast doing color. So did you shoot a lot of stuff in log or really flat neutral profile? So you had that leverage to basically make everything match. We didn't go full log. I think I think it's Rec Seven Hundred Nine. Okay. Okay. Is uh, is is the color profile we used, and it's just kind of a nice neutral. Um, you know, it's not uber flat, but you still get some good color information in there and um the final color grade of the film you know everything is kind of nostalgic right i mean this mm-hmm. mountain was, was was created back in the 60s and there's this kind of something fun about you know when you when you get up on a ski hill you know even though we have all this technology and everything's you know super rad i'm really happy to be alive today you get up there and it's just it's just timeless right mm-hmm. it doesn't matter your age or whatever and so really the the story the message we wanted to tell in the color past was uh um you know forget about the cameras forget about the equipment and just kind of enjoy the moment and so we kind of went for kind of a mild retro kind of everything's desaturated the blues okay. kind of kind of pop and just had a lot of fun with it. Why did you choose Lumetri in Premiere over, say, a platform like Resolve? And oh, there's, so there's, there's no right or wrong answers. I'm just curious. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're all um, Adobe in-house. We're, we use Creative Cloud um, or the Creative Suite. And, you know, Adobe's put a lot of work into um, thinking about the post-production process and everything's just just streamlined and it's really powerful tools over the last two years uh lumetri's really um been you know it's no longer it used to be you had to spit it out and you know everything transferred over and you you did it in a different platform now everything is built right into premiere and so you, you just get some really powerful color correction tools hmm. and you know and this wasn't like you know we're not doing some super crazy sci-fi where you know, we needed Paul come in with, mat- with masks and everything. Everything was done. It's just a really just wholesome, you know, um, color pass. And so everything that we needed it for, Lumetri delivered, and it was a really highly recommended. I really enjoyed the process. That's interesting because I recently, uh, I recently, uh, I've, I've been forced to. I mean, I, I went. I don't know if I'm forced is the right word. But I'm now in a position where I have to learn Media Composer by Avid. Um, it, I mean, it's just the nature of the beast in Los Angeles. Everybody works on um, Avid, and then the number two editor would be Premiere, and then Final Cut just doesn't exist. But um, it's been interesting trying to find that balance of programs that I have to learn professionally because... I mean, I know Adobe Premiere like the back of my hand. Like, if I had to go in and assist somewhere on a Premiere project and set up string outs or set up bin structures so an editor can get to work, I'm confident that I could do those things. In Avid, I'm getting there, but it's it's interesting in a figuring out how to not only do exports for reviews and stuff of that nature, but... Um, but also figuring out how to send things to color and getting ready for sound and stuff like that. It's I, I I'm looking forward to the day where Premiere is going to take over this town. <laughs> I'm sold, man. I'm a huge uh, Adobe fan. I haven't edited. I mean, 
professionally, I haven't edited on anything else. You know, we jumped, thank God, jumped off of the Final Cut bandwagon after uh, after 10, because I was always an Adobe guy, and I, I just love, um, I love the company, and I love, I love their philosophy, and I love what they contribute to the creative community, and uh, the, future is, uh, the future is bright. I'm really proud of Adobe. I, I think you're right, because... Uh... It's so funny because like many legacy editors down here that are much older than you and I don't even want to like look at Premiere. Like ah oh, Premiere, but these are guys that came from film. They were cutting on like flatbeds. Exactly right. So I I understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, it's I I think Premiere is gonna take over if if Adobe keeps keeps on the path and they don't screw it up like Final Cut did to themselves. Agreed. But how did how did you guys approach the sound in it? Because like what I noticed very early on is it sounded great. I mean, it sounded really good. Um, I know Chad was up there um, working in the field, but how did I mean? How did you guys make it sound so good? Oh man, that's that's all Chad, our friendly resident uh, audio engineer. And so he's up there, um, you know, if he's not on camera, he's got uh, his audio kit. And so, you know, all the sound effects, all the skiing and the ski sounds in the film, he captured on the mountain. Um, and just with great intention about, you know, that creative process. And I'm, you know, when I'm geeking out on a shot, he's geeking out on the sound of something else. And it really lends a lot. You know, I think that's something that a lot of especially kind of independent filmmakers or kind of just starting filmmakers you know you focus so much on you know you got to compose a shot and you got to do the edit and you know just editing to music is hard enough let alone thinking about sound design or even being able to capture it during the the production process but when you really enjoy when there's a piece of media that independent film that you watch um you know a huge critical component to that is sound mm -hmm. and it, it's really crucial and so I, I couldn't be more excited and proud to uh to have Chad on our crew, and he's a really talented guy. Um, you know, something that that accompanied our excellent sound design is a really great original soundtrack that we're mm -hmm. able to to reach out um, and, and collaborate with some local artists here in the valley. And so we went to them with some ideas about, uh, you know, this is this is the message, this is this is the the segment, um, and this is kind of what your character is going to be like, or you know, what mm -hmm. the ride session is going to be like, and so. Um, you know, they they wrote some songs. They came into the studio, and we we recorded everything with them, and you know, kind of went back and forth a little bit, and then ended up with a really bitch and original soundtrack for the film. That yeah, to me, brings a lot of energy to it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, the f the first like fifteen minutes, I was like this. I love the direction of original sound. I mean, in original songs, like it was it was a nice little. It separated you guys. You weren't necessarily being better than the crowd, but you were being different in many ways, shapes, and form, which is ultimately going to elevate you guys and take it to a different place because the music there really ties more into the story as opposed to going to like the music bed or licensing some other track from elsewhere. I mean, I, I know those tracks were in there, but that's I like seeing the extra effort on your guys' part of trying to do these things from a different point of view yeah you know it's a local story and so why not get some uh, let's get some local music in there mm -hmm. and that was a tradition that started with pedal driven 
uh, with our with our mountain bike film, and it's what we're really excited to uh, continue with this project. And it just it really just wraps up that whole local story package, mm-hmm. really great. And getting to yeah, getting to custom like build your your soundtrack with with talented musicians is same thing it's like oh it's it's so it's so fun to do yeah it's it's really it's really rewarding yeah i mean it's like i have a project that i want to do and it's like it's like by the end of an edit i'm like oh god i gotta write about music now too fuck but i mean it's it's great to see that you guys found ways to do it in a way that was fun and energetic and came with a refreshing different point of view um how did I mean did Chad do any work in uh post on the sound? Oh yeah. Um yeah, a, a tr- tremendous amount. Um you know, so you know, so he came out of he came out of production with a tremendous sound library, you know, mm-hmm. from all from all the sounds he captured on the hill. And and we actually have a, a really nice a tremendous um sound effects library uh in our server. And so, you know, as we go through the whole process, you know, we go through and we have our, you know, we call it kind of a, you know, we have the nugging process and the culling process, and then we have a content pass. And then, you know, once things start to, you know, you get the skeleton of the edit put together, and then you bring in, you know, I bring in Chad and kind of walk him through that process and kind of give him some, some foundations, kind of what I'm thinking, and then he takes that and runs with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that, that final process... Um, you know, once I get the, all the, the edits in, and then he comes through and does the sound pass, and it's like a completely different film. Absolutely. And how did you guys manage that process? Because in many times you have to get picture lock before kicking it out to um, sound. I mean, was there, how were you approaching that? Was there moments where you were, had a sequence or a portion of the film locked and you were sending things out? Because you are a smaller shop, you have a lot more flexibility as opposed to, say, like Warner's or some other big production company elsewhere in the country. How are you managing that workflow and those workflow processes in terms of handing the baton off and then taking stuff back in? What was that relationship like? So Lifted is basically like any good ski film or bad ski film. It's a series of 14 little mini edits right mm-hmm. and so everything you know everything's kind of compartmentalized and so there's always something that somebody can be working on it and you know and so basically the film you know each segment is its own independent premiere file and so everything you know that way content pass can be going on in one while b-roll pass is going on in another while audio pass is going on in a third and everything kind of can be juggled around like that mm-hmm. and and so it's just it's just it's just you know taking the baby steps and knowing that you know because when you look at a full film, it can be really daunting. It can be be really overwhelming, especially you know when you're just working, you know, on on content. And so really just taking taking little bites and enjoying each edit and making each one its own little like truly you know each chapter could and should be able to be completely just pulled from the film and be able to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once we get to that point, then it's just, you know, it's just layers. It's just layers on a cake. And mm-hmm. at the end of it, it's, you know, you, you get a movie. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So you guys weren't using one project. You were using multiple projects all at the same time. Yeah, I didn't get to see the movie, like, 
uh, like from beginning to end with all the segments put together until two weeks before the world premiere. Oh, jeez. And it was, um, you know, it was the day we, we had our focus group, uh, which is a very important part of the creative process. We had a focus group two weeks before the premiere, and I got to watch the full uninterrupted film for the first time, like, that day. Hmm. And so I, like, I finally get to see it, and then at the same time, I have to, like, share it with a room. You know, we, we, I think we had about 20 people. It's a pretty large focus group. Mm-hmm. We had 20 people that we shared it with. And so, uh, you know, that's pretty nerve-wracking, and it's very, again, you kind of hope that everything's coming together, but until you can see the whole painting on the wall, you really have no idea. And then, of course, uh, you know, and we asked our focus group, too, like, hey, we want you guys to tear this up. You know, don't be, don't be kind. Don't worry about mm-hmm. our feelings we can handle this and, and they did and they tore it up something awful <laughs> and it was uh but it's a really good process we got really great feedback from it and you kind of step back from it it's like dude i've just been busting myself for three months on this edit and now i basically have to come in with a wrecking ball you know <laughs> and uh and tear it up and then rebuild it and but it always it's it's always rebuilt stronger mm-hmm. and it it really is an important part of making uh, a film good of course i i'm just i'm just impressed that you guys were running multiple projects i mean i i mean maybe i'm i'm just so used to doing one master project and then sequences out of that um i'm 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 just really interested we break stuff down frequently into um, you know, it really kind of, but we, we do some longer, we do some longer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's kind of everything. And so again, we have, uh, we were a five man band. And so the main, like once, uh, once a project gets into the, into the production process, we have, we kind of have like a content director, a content manager who's really focused. He's the main contact between what the overall goal is, like what the client's needs are in the mm-hmm. creative world. And so he, uh, Steve, really opens up that process and gets that gets that script going. And a lot of times he'll come in with the first content edit. Mm-hmm. And then from there it'll come um, to me. I'm kind of like the lead, I'm the lead creative. And that'll come to me to basically say, okay, so here is a bunch of information on a timeline. Now let's make it fun. Yeah, and then so I get to go on there and kind of play around, and then he'll let me know. Okay, well, you know this works, that doesn't work. We need to retain this, and then we get to a pretty solid um, content lock, and then from there it goes into the B-roll pass, mm-hmm. which same thing is just kind of you know really fun, creative part of the process, and then from there we usually um, you know that goes at, at that point, then that'll go back to the client. And then we'll go through one or two revisions, and then from there the, the beast is complete. And then that that final moment will go through color and sound. Mm-hmm. But so throughout throughout that process, there's really it's very easily bouncing between three workstations. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're very fluid and capable and ability to compartmentalize stuff. And at, at any given time, you know, we have we have several contracts open uh, at any given time. And so just being able to to pass stuff around and be fluid is, is really critical, at least in our, in our business model. Mm-hmm. How is uh, how is the new teams function or the team projects within within uh, Premiere and uh, After Effects going to change that for you guys? I mean, I I've seen a couple demos of it um, where 
people have been in other parts of the globe contributing and it's it's uh it's interesting yeah we haven't cracked that open yet and i i'll be interested interested to see how much of it's going to be applicable to us because you know we're working off of our local server Mm -hmm. and local network and you know if something something's up i can either just slack or holler at the guy (laughs) you know who's either a sitting across the desk from me or b just you know in the other office um, and so I'm, I'm excited about the evolution and there's a lot of times where I feel like, like, uh, like, I don't know how other people are editing, like, are, or is it just like these lone wolf guys or is it completely, you know, pe- editors working in different cities, but there, I have found that's been my biggest critique of the Adobe platform over the last couple of years is I felt like the, the filmmaker or the post-production house that they are catering to is not what our production house is mm-hmm. and so things like like the like the team build that they're that they're that they're putting out that mm-hmm. to me is is really exciting and i um i can't wait to see where it goes yeah i mean i'm i'm looking forward to seeing it take over in los angeles because i mean la's very very avid based and what avid has been incredibly good at has been well i mean it's it's pretty sta- i mean it's very stable because it has to it transcodes everything when you bring it in and you do not want to go into the attic of avid um i mean just the back end of what avid does is intense i don't get it yet but what avid's success really has been has been like feature length and big big tv projects it's really exciting for me especially as a premiere editor mostly seeing Adobe really trying to like kick down the door that Avid is trying to hold up because to your point those those little intricacies like the team projects and the other things that they're trying to add I think it really does add value to filmmakers I mean it's no longer just a it's no longer just a, a it's not like it's some kid's little brother this is a serious editor now and it, it needs to be taken seriously I mean I think I'm, I'm gonna botch this but 75 percent of all films submitted to sundance were cut on premiere last year i i believe it i mean that says a lot absolutely um and then uh so what didn't make the film i'm curious about that and what stood out in your mind that didn't make the film um gosh it's it's a, it's a great question um, there, there's a, there's so many. We ended up with over 300 local faces in the film. Wow! And that's not people who are like skiing in the background. Like that, those are people. You know, their faces on camera. You can recognize them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, we filmed. You know, probably <laughs> all in all, I mean, probably triple that. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of of, of hometown heroes that didn't make the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, through that process, you know, the, the, the truth booth stuff, it, it's really effective and it's really fun with the truth booth interviews, but you know, you kind of get it right after a little bit. And mm-hmm. we could have made a full 20 minute video just to that of people, yeah. complete, complete strangers finishing each other's sentences that, um, just wasn't applicable in the full film. Um, certainly, you know, we have, uh, some local lore and some local history with, a with a B 29 bomber, uh, military bomber crashed up. So, yeah, one of the, yeah, it is it is B two four, um, crashed up on the hill back in the in the fifties, forties or is it is in the forties because World War Two. Anyways, so 
so that's really infamous on the hill um you know and, and somehow you know none of that stuff made it in and some with that is uh, the local uh, legend of uh the boogeyman the prop man uh, <laughs> up there that unfortunately you know that's I, I wanted to open the film with that actually with like uh with an animation about prop man it was like uh you know make the kind of like this spooky intro into the into the film but that didn't materialize and and all in all i, I guess i mean it, you never know you you go into a film thinking you have a vision about what it's going to be and then especially when it takes you three years to finish it um, it always comes out into something something different, and mm-hmm. it's a pleasant surprise at the end, for sure. I, I could imagine. But uh, I have one more question regarding the tech stuff. What did did you guys do much VFX work or um, design? I mean, I, I saw that Eddie Adams out of Seattle. Is he still at Luster? Yeah. I, Luster's great. I worked with them a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, what was your process with VFX? I mean. I'm assuming you guys did it all in After Effects, if there was any, and same goes with design. Yeah, again, every, I mean, everything's uh, Photoshop or After Effects. Um, there's not a tremendous amount. We have a brief 45-second animation um, about the history of grooming that I we kind of brought in, ju- just just to break up the monotony of, of skiing and uh, just a fun way to... And some, that, that's something that really makes Mission Ridge is, well-known is, is their grooming, because... Like I said, we're we're central Washington. It's it can be a freezing desert here in the winter, and so you know we can go a month, two months without any snow. And so having having world class grooming up there is really important to keeping the mountain uh, fun to ski. And so we we paid respect to that and did a fun little forty five second animation about the science of snow grooming, kind of like a nineteen fifties industrial educational film. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really fun to to get to work on the animation. Um, kind of break up the skiing with that and then throughout we kind of supplemented with, uh, with just some fun but there's a musical intro that has a couple uh, visual effects in there and partnered with our good friend my good friend Eddie Adams in, in Seattle to uh, build in some snowflakes and such Yeah, and and it just brings a little bit of flair you know it's, it's just something fun to, to add to the project and, and it adds a lot yeah um I'm going to try and wrap this up because I'm sure you have other things that you got to do. Um, but I guess like what I'm, I really want to end on is what sort of feedback and what sort of suggestions would you have for filmmakers um, out there who are new to it or who have been around the block a little bit? What advice, I mean, we've had this conversation before and um, what advice would you give those people? I mean, I remember you sent me like a Warner Herzog um, um site or something some interview that he did um what advice would you give uh younger filmmakers about how to kick down these doors and make things happen yeah so advice i would give a young filmmaker is to really um follow your heart and have fun it can it can be really daunting um you know there's so much to learn and there's so much to do and you know in so little time and i mean and take your time have fun with it enjoy your humble beginnings because um, it's a really important part of your development, and to truly get out there and do it. And it, it's really easy to talk, and it's really easy to um, to dream. But it's you know a portfolio is everything, and it doesn't matter. You you can go stick your head in your door, whether it's just a small mom pop shop or a, a major production company. 
you know, you can come in and stick your foot in the door and, and say hi, but really a portfolio is everything. And mm-hmm. so having a portfolio that represents your work, and it's really too, as, as, as beginning filmmakers, sometimes it's easy to feel like, you know, to devalue your work. Mm-hmm. And you say, like, oh, this is just this is just nothing, you know, or whatever. But no, like, take take pride in your work, and enjoy those little projects. And it's really amazing. My life has basically been a series of edits mm-hmm. that are completely disconnected. They have no connection to each other. But it's set me on a trajectory where all those edits have put me on. It's like a little breadcrumbs um, from where from from my humble beginnings uh, to get where I am today. And and you you, you never know where the next edit is going to lead. And mm-hmm. so really take fun, push yourself with every edit, try to learn something new. Um, if, you, if you're kind of, if you're brand new and starting out, you know, try to, um, you know, diversify. Try, you know, it's good to know a little about audio. It's good to know a little bit about the camera, to know about the edit, to know about producing. And that's going to make you a better, stronger filmmaker. And it's going to make you better at working on a team because you're going to know a little bit about the whole process. But then once you know what you want to do, go after it and pursue it. And really, you know, it's, it's okay to become a specialist and really become good at something um, because that's, that's what's really going to, um, that's what's going to keep you wanting to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's what I hear all the time down here in Los Angeles. You can't be a generalist. I mean, you can. And there's, it's good to know, to your point, it's good to know a lot about filmmaking in general but you really got to specialize in order to find that place of where you fit into the world that is filmmaking absolutely so where can people find out more about lifted you and north 40 yeah so you can learn more about lifted liftedskifilm.com uh we will be releasing to uh vimeo on demand here december 15th and again, my name is Ole Mingo. You can follow some, some of my work at olimingo.com and north40productions.com uh, as well. And good luck, everybody. Have fun with your edits. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Render Time. Big thanks to Ole Mingo for coming on the show. It was really good to talk with you, man, and hear your thoughts on how you made this great film. I really enjoyed it. If you guys want to learn more about Lifted and North 40, you can find them on Vimeo, Facebook, and Instagram by just searching for North 40. Also, Lifted will be available on December 15th on Vimeo On Demand. So I would encourage you to go out and support them. Show some love to them and just enjoy the film. It's it's amazing what they've done in a place like Wenatchee, Washington with limited crew and limited resources. If you enjoy Render Time, please comment on iTunes and just leave a rating. I would really appreciate hearing your thoughts and opinions of the show. And until next time, get out there and uh, make awesome work. Create, share, and sustain the life that you want. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks.